we love you. At that night you were betrayed, you did not get upset, you did not get angry, and you did not try to take revenge, you didn't try to explain yourself. But you took the bread and said, this is for the memory of my broken body. And you took the cup and you said, this is the new covenant in my blood I'm going to establish. Lord, we thank you for this new covenant. Lord, we thank you for this new way of relating to you. Lord, we thank you for this new paradigm of doing religion. We thank you for the rest you have given to us in this new year. What a great way to celebrate, Lord, this newness into the religious perspective you brought through the cross, through the broken body, and through the shed blood of you. So we are grateful, Jesus. We love you, and we celebrate this newness with you. In Jesus' name, let's have this broken body of Christ. Let's drink this cup in remembrance of the shed blood on the cross. Amen. What a great way to celebrate New Year. Talking about New Year, did you, did you catch the Rose Parade this year? <laughs> and I know they kept telling that uh, uh, the Rose Parade is canceled this year. Um, but if you ask me, this was the Rose, best Rose Parade I've ever attended. Uh, believe it or not, a small group of people from our Lake Avenue Church family did a prayer walk and exactly at the same time and exactly at the same route of the Ross Parade. It was fascinating to be part of that little group, and we were actually interviewed by the NBC Channel 4 News, and it was, uh, it was very encouraging to see and probably a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to do and walk along the Colorado Street and praying for all those businesses, and in the end, we were at the Victory Park, just like the parade would end up, and we did communion there. Uh, and I thought that was, uh, you know, as you know, we ended 2020 by taking over the Ross Bowl. <laughs> and we are beginning 2021 by replacing the Ross Parade with the Prayer Parade. And like I said before, I believe the Lord is sending a message to the culture that if you are not coming to the church, the church is going to come and get you. So... Um, let's go to the scripture, and this is a way, and this is a new way, like I said, are, we are going to do religion, this is a new way we are going to do ministry, this is a new way we are building community, this is the new way of being church. So we are going to start this journey by rediscovering Christ in a way that you have never, we have never done before, hopefully. I have a very simple message, hopefully very short message, but I think it will speak to you the way it spoke to me before. Um, stand for the uh, scripture reading if you want to. It's only two verses. Uh, John's Gospel, chapter 18, verses 34 and 35. Actually, 33 onwards. <laughs> Therefore, Pilate entered again into the praetorium, 
and summoned Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Are you saying this on your own initiative, or did others tell you about me? I'm going to read that last verse one, one more time before you sit. Are you saying this on your own initiative, or did others tell you about me? This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Albert Einstein, the famous scientist, said this about Jesus. I am a Jew, but I am enthralled by the luminous figure of the Nazarene. He was talking about his experience of reading the Bible and encountering the character of Jesus in the Bible. Mikhail Gorbachev, I don't know how many of you know him, he was the last president of USSR, the Soviet Union, and the general secretary of the Communist Party at, uh, in Soviet Russia at the time. And this is what he said about Jesus Christ. Jesus was the first socialist the first to seek a better life for mankind. <laughs> Mahatma Gandhi, the icon of modern Hinduism, this is what he said about Jesus. Jesus was a man completely innocent, offered himself as a sacrifice for the good of others, including his enemies, and became a ransom for the world. That's Christian theology in a nutshell, you know? It's better than any German theologian can put it. Way to go, Gandhi. And then you have Prophet Muhammad, who is the founder of Islam, said this about Jesus, which is recorded in the Quran in the second surah. Allah gave to the world Jesus, exalted him above all others and supported him with the Holy Spirit as proof of his sovereignty. What a great opinion about Jesus, about people, from people who have never, who are, who are not Christians. Now, this is a question for you. I'm going to give you a 10 solid seconds the question is, what would you say about Jesus? What is your opinion about Jesus? If I give you a PowerPoint slide and I put your picture on it, and what would you say about Jesus? Your 10 seconds starts right now. Okay, hold that thought right there. Let's come to the scripture. And this, as you know, is the famous trial scene, right? Now, if I am like a TV news crew with a camera in my hand, if I start interviewing everybody in this scene of Jesus' trial at Pilate's castle, 
And I asked them the same question. What do you think about Jesus? I'm not going to get a very good opinion because all those people who shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna, here comes the Savior, now they completely changed their opinion. They are all shouting, crucify him, crucify him. People who had a good opinion about Jesus, his disciples, deserted him in a way. And he is rejected. He is completely uh, misunderstood and mistreated in that scene. But if you look at closely, the only person who has some good opinion about Jesus is Pilate. Whether you like him or not, Pilate looked at him, and he is a very smart man. He's a judge. So he knew there was something about this preacher who seems very innocent, very, uh, very harmless in a way. But then Pilate became more and more intrigued. He, he became genuinely curious about the personality of Jesus. And the more he started talking to him, the more he realized that there is something more about Jesus that people are, you know, getting. And he is the only person in the scene who is trying to save Jesus one way or the other. And even his wife, you know, there is another episode in which his wife is sending some messages to him saying that he might probably somebody who is divine and all that things. But anyway, at this point, Pilate makes a very interesting conclusion about who Jesus is. And he is saying, like, are you the king of the Jews? And he asked that three times in that short paragraph, if you go back and read, are you the king of the Jews? And even later, when we come to the end of that episode, this is what he says when, G when he wanted to release Jesus. You remember the famous Barabbas scene, right? And he says, do you want Barabbas or the king of the Jews? He's not saying, do you want Barabbas or Jesus? Do you want Barabbas or the king of the Jews? And also, you know, on the cross, he was very intentional about writing that Jesus is the king of the Jews. So, that is a great opinion to have when the whole world is turned against Jesus. Here is Pilate with a great opinion about Jesus, especially him being a political leader to come up with a political title for Jesus. is very, very commendable. So, Pilate asked this question to Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? So if I were Jesus, I would have said, thank you, Pilate. At least you get it. Somebody get the point. Right? There, it's, a, it's a commendable thing, that, that opinion coming from Pilate. But then Jesus asked this very interesting, a probing question. Right? So this is what he said. Pilate, what you said is great. Fantastic. But my question is, are you saying this on your own initiative or did somebody else tell you about me? Or is this your opinion or this is a secondhand opinion you gain from somebody else? Or it is not about what you know about Jesus, how do you know what you know? It is not about your opinion about Jesus, but how did you arrive at that opinion? 
Okay, now I'm going to give you another 10 solid seconds. And I know what you wrote, even though I didn't see what you thought about Jesus. I'm sure it is great opinions. And I'm sure you wrote something really nice about Jesus, better than Gandhi or Muhammad or Gorbachev. But here is the tough question. How did you arrive at that opinion? Why do you say what you say? How did you know what you know? 10 seconds starts now. William Barclay, who's known as layman's theologian, said this once. True religion is a personal discovery. I'll say that one more time. True religion is a personal discovery. See, the problem with Christianity, particularly in the Western world, is that it is a religion somehow we inherit we, it is passed on from our great-great-great-grandfathers to our grandfather to our parents to us, and then we are going to pass it on to our children, which is a great thing to do. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you go to the eastern part of the world, where I'm coming from, I've, been, I've lived in the east, in the Middle East and the west, and quite often in the east, Christianity is not an inherited religion. It is a discovered religion. There is a sense of discovery. At some point, you discover Christianity. And it has that excitement that comes with that. You know, nobody spoon-feed you religion in the East or Christianity in the East. But at some point, you come to an encounter with Christ, and quite often that can cost you something. That can cost you a career, family, and sometime in your life. And because of that, there is that sense of excitement of that discovery that adds to the faith, which, is, which brings passion to faith. I am so glad, particularly from, the, you know, if I'm very often, when I get invited to speak at a college group, I always notice this. If there are 20 people in a small group of Bible study, 15 of them are Asians, <laughs> Chinese, Koreans, and all, from all th that part of the world. And they, they are driven, they have passion, not necessarily because they, are, they have something particularly great about them, but it is that, that most of them, for the most of them, it was, it, the Christianity came through a personal discovery. See, truth has a double impact when it is a personal discovery. This is why, you know, Jesus, as you know, he is not really known as the greatest philosopher or greatest speaker, but he is always known as a storyteller, right? Jesus is a storyteller. And I always thought of Jesus told stories because it made it very simple. You know, it's much easier to understand things through a story. That's what I always thought. But then Matthew chapter 13, there is this episode where the disciples go to Jesus and said, Lord, why are you using parables? Why are you telling us stories? And Jesus gives them a big lecture. You can go back and read it. But essentially, this is what he says. The summary of what he says is, 
I'm telling you stories to make it complicated. Because what I'm telling you is the mysteries of the kingdom. And that is not revealed to everybody. That is revealed only to special people. And it has to come as a revelation. And that is why I'm telling you the story. Because stories have a layer of complexity as much as it has a layer of simplicity. Right? Like if you really look at the parables, it is actually a homework. Instead of giving them a dogma, a doctrine, you know, when you ask a question and Jesus doesn't necessarily answer that question and he says, let me tell you a story. Because if you just give the answer, you got the answer, you memorize the answer, that's what it is. But Jesus wants them to discover the answer. That's why we like stories. It's not because it's fun to hear, because whenever you hear a story, you're not really getting the truth directly, but you discover the truth at the end. That's why you get excited when somebody tells you a story. Instead of, you know, if I come and say, okay, let me give you a sermon, as opposed to let me give you a story, let me tell you a story, you get excited because I'm giving you an opportunity to discover the truth on your own. And that creates passion, and that creates an excitement, and that's when the truth which becomes, or having a double impact when it is a personal discovery. You know, of all the subjects in the university or the high school, I loved maths. Maths was my favorite subject. subject. And, and the reason I like math is not necessarily because of anything. Uh, because math is the only subject where you don't have to memorize the answer. In all other subjects, you know, history, sociology, take any subjects. All of them, you can memorize the answer in one way or the other. If you're, if you're, if you're photograph, if you have photographic memory, if you're very good at remembering things, you can get good grades in any subject except in math. In math, you have to discover the answer. You can memorize some equation and formulae and all that, which will lead you to the answer. But in the end, any math problem is a discovery. So in a math test, you are not answering a question, you are actually solving a problem. And that is very exciting. That's why there are only two kinds of people in the world. People either love math or they hate math. Nobody says, it's like, you know, history. You say, yeah, yeah, I like history. Or I like sociology. Meh, like, you know, all that. You, you'll get some of the middle of the ground opinion. But if you talk about math, it is like talking about religion or politics. People who hate math or people who love math. Because that, 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 that adds to a sense of discovery and, and math. And in so many ways, religion has to be like a mathematical problem but in, in, in which you encounter or you personally discover that answer and that adds passion to our faith. See, that is the problem we have, we have, we are encountering today. Even in evangelism, people talk about let's, let's come up with the next great module on evangelism, next teaching series on evangelism. This is all great, but at some point, if it doesn't start from inside, right, like it's not going to go anywhere. 
So the question we have to answer is that our opinion about Jesus, is that our own opinion or how did we discover that opinion? Is it because Pastor Jeff was teaching us every Sunday, which he has to do, and all he can give us is equation and formula? In the end, you have to discover that answer. Otherwise, it will remain as a secondhand religion, which is not going to be of any significance. See, the modern society is not looking for what is true. This is a big shift in our culture, whether you like it or not. See, we have, as Christians, managed to get a monopoly on truth, I would say. But unfortunately, the new generation is not asking the question, what is truth? Because we live in a so-called post-truth society. The question today in university campuses is not what is truth, it is what is relevant, because they are hearing truth from many sources. So they're asking what is relevant. And we are talking about dogmatic truth, like yeah, from a dispensational framework, the atonement on the cross has achieved justification and sanctification. It doesn't mean anything to them. It is just words and words. Yes, it is truth. It is truth, but that's not the point. How that becomes relevant, because you have to speak about that truth with the light in your eyes. That's what they are looking for. Does this mean anything to my parents? Does this mean anything to my pastor? See, that is when the truth becomes relevant. And for that, we need to keep on discovering the truth in new and different ways. What I mean is that, see, a distinguishable difference between Christianity or the Christian message, the gospel, and the messages of other religions is that, you know, what is the definition of the gospel? In Timothy, and Paul uh, gives this definition, this is what Paul said, remember Jesus Christ, descendant of David, resurrected from the death, this is my gospel. So he is essentially saying, remember Jesus Christ, he didn't say, remember what Jesus said. He didn't say, remember what Jesus did. He said, remember Jesus Christ, that is my gospel. See, Christian message is not a doctrine of truth, but it is a person. See, Moses was a messenger of God in Judaism, but Jesus was not a messenger, he was the message. Prophet Muhammad was a prophet in Islam, but Jesus was not a prophet. He was the prophecy. For God so loved the world that he gave us not a law, not a philosophy, not a book, but a person. So Christian message is essentially the person of Jesus Christ. Knowing the gospel or understanding the, per the gospel is like relating to a person not to a dogma or doctrine or statement of faith, which are all important. These are like equations and formulae which are important, but at the end, what you are discovering is a person. And any personal discovery, as you know, is an ongoing journey. It doesn't end on one day when you raise your hand and then you suddenly became a Christian. It's like getting married. I remember 22 years ago, I got married to my wife. I raised my hand and I said, this is why I'm going to take her as my wife. But 22 years later, every single birthday I mess up. The gift I buy, there is something wrong with that. 
because I'm still trying to discover this person. This is a human being I'm talking about. After living with her for 22 years, I'm still on a journey to discover this person because, because it, every human being is a mystery. It's an, or the, every relationship is an ongoing journey of rediscovering that person. In a way, that is what makes marriage exciting too, right? Any relationship. In the same way, I challenge you to rediscover Jesus Christ because the gospel is ultimately is a relationship with the person. And when you keep on rediscovering Jesus, there is that sense of excitement and passion that will be added to your faith. That is the best evangelism class you can do. And that is what is going to propel you or deploy you to the neighborhood and talk about Jesus and what he has come to accomplish in this world. And that is a challenge I am going to issue to you in the beginning of this year. And there is a great illustration of this in John chapter 4, where the famous Samaritan woman st uh, story, you, you remember, Samaritan woman had this unexpected serendipitous encounter with Jesus. And Jesus was there, you know, on the way. He was sitting by a well. And then comes this woman, and they have this conversation. She was going to draw the water, and Jesus said, woman, can you give me something to drink, Right? And you remember the way she, the conversation starts something like this. So she says, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan. Why are you asking for a drink? Very reasonable question. I'm not going to explain you know what, what the context of this is. Because for her, this person who is sitting there is a Jew. Who, he's the other, who's a, who's a great man, obviously, but he's a Jew. That's where the conversation starts. Then Jesus said, well, if you really know the gift of God and the person who is asking you for a drink, you would ask him and he would have given you the living water. Then, I think now the verse nine or so, then she's, the, the, immediately her tone changes. She says, sir, sir, can you give me that water? See, suddenly the tone changed. So before it was, Jesus was just a Jew. Now Jesus is a sir. She knew that he is a respectable teacher. There is something different about this man. He is not just a man, he is a teacher. And then Jesus said, well, I'll give you the living water, but there is a problem. And I want you to bring your husband too. And you know the story. And she says, I don't have a husband. Oh, Jesus said, exactly because you had five of them and the one who is living with you right now is not your husband. Now, the next layer of revelation, revelation, I think it's verse 16 or 19 where she calls Jesus, sir, now I see you are a prophet. See, that's the next tier of rediscovery. You are a prophet because something like this, very mysterious, very hidden in her life was revealed at that point. So from being a Jew to a sir who is a teacher, now to a prophet, at the end of the story, we see her calling Jesus the Messiah. They are they are, they, the conversation now turned into a completely theological conversation. And in the end, she discovers that he is not just a Jew. He is not just a teacher. He is not just a prophet. He is the Messiah. The lady put the pot back and she didn't even draw water. She goes to the highways and byways and bring people in. Here is a man who told me everything I have ever done. It is that passion that brought all the village to see Jesus. 
because there was that ongoing discovery to the end. So this is the assignment for you. This year, to rediscover Jesus, we have a couple of pathways. So if you go to our website, not right now, lakeavenue.org, you type the word rediscover or rediscovering Jesus, then it will take you to a page where you have two pathways. One is the Alpha program we are just starting, okay, in two weeks. So that is a great way to understand who Jesus is from the Christian perspective, and I am sure that you don't need any introduction to the Alpha program. Then you also have another lead to the Mosaic course, which is something we internally developed a couple or two or three years ago here, and it is a way of rediscovering Jesus from the perspective of the other, like we talked about the Einsteins and the, and the Prophet Muhammad's or the Gandhis of the other. What do they think about Jesus? Because it's very important for us to know the Jesus they know before we talk to them about the Jesus we know. So if you have already done the Alpha program, I encourage you to do the Mosaic course. In both ways, you are on a journey to rediscovering Jesus Christ in a way that you have never known him before. So that when that question is posed to you from Jesus, like, you know, Jesus asked Pilate, the question is not about what do you know, but how do you know what you know? Have you had a personal encounter with me? Have you discovered me in a way that you have, that you have never known anybody else or others haven't discovered me? And then truth will have a double impact. And that is my prayer for the church. I have one closing story. Kind of a funny story, but a true story of something happened, very similar kind of a Samaritan woman encounter I had in a completely different context, and I thought it's appropriate to tell that story now. So uh, 20 years ago, yeah, 2001, yeah, um, we were new immigrants to Canada. We just landed, and uh, we, Hannah, we, our older daughter Hannah was born, and she was less than a year old, and Emma was not born yet. And I was a student at University of Toronto. Uh, and um, uh, there was a nice park next to our university campus uh, called Queen's Park in Toronto. There are a lot of movie shootings and all that. Have a very, it's like a central park of New York. Uh, so we were just sitting there, you know, Joanne, myself. Joanne was pregnant with Emma, I believe. And then uh, we were playing with Hannah. She was crawling <laughs> through the mud and all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, one gentleman walked up to us and, and uh, he started you know, just playing with Hannah a little bit. And then he started talking to us. And, uh, you know, it's very common when you have kids, you know, people walk up to you, say, you have a beautiful child, and yeah, how are you, and all that. So we have this conversation. And then, uh, then I asked him, so, oh, okay, yeah, so where are you coming from? Oh, he said, I'm an American. Oh, okay. Where do you live in America? He said, I'm, I, I live in Los Angeles. I said, oh, okay, yeah. So what do you do? I said, oh, I work in the movie industry. So then I saw there was a movie shooting was going on on the other side. We didn't care about it at that time, and I was not much into movies at the time. So, so I said, oh, okay. So I said, uh, what do you do in the movies? Are you some kind of an actor or something like that? 
uh, because at that time, the only actors I know, the Hollywood actors I know, are Sylvester Stallone and Arnold Schwarzenegger, and not necessarily because they are great actors, they are, but, but more for the muscles, right? Like, you know, so, so this gentleman looked like a very normal person, but anyway, so he said, yeah, I, he said, yeah, yeah, I do act in a very polite way. And then, you know, then we had a very nice conversation. He said, oh, I have a child of the same age, and uh, he is in Los Angeles. It's the same age. So uh, I, I, you know, kind of br brings that memory to my mind. And we had a very solid conversation, 15 minutes or so. And then this, ge this gentleman walked back to the movie set. Immediately, a group of people came to us. And he said, how do you know him? And I'm like, what do you mean? I don't know him. Like, who's that guy? Like, I don't know. He's an actor. He said, you don't know him? He is the Superman. So this is, I mean, so this may not be very relevant to you right now. Dean Cain was the Superman in the, uh, the, in the mid to late 90s. And he was the heartthrob of all the people at the time. And he was just a very normal person who's walking up to us and having this conversation. I didn't have a clue. And I just thought of um, just another person, right? So I felt so embarrassed, uh, and I, man, like you know, I, I looked at the Superman and asked him, you know, are you an actor? <laughs> you know, so so I walked back to the movie set, you know, my audacity at the time I didn't know what I was doing, and I went back to the movie set, and uh, and and the shooting was happening. Now I can see him in you know whatever role he was doing, and then I I just went there and waved my hands. So he was just suddenly he was so humble. And he, he, stopped the, the, he stopped the whole set, the, the whole shooting. And then he came up to me. So everybody's looking at me and saying, who is this guy? Like, you know, he was some kind of a Bollywood star or some, you know, this is 20 years ago. So I used to look like a movie star back then too. So, you know, we had this conversation and he came and talked to us and I said, sir, I really apologize. I didn't know that you were, you were Superman and you were such a famous actor. You know, I, I just said, we are just new immigrants. We are very new. He said, oh, no, 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 that doesn't matter. Not everybody knows me and all that. But yeah, you know, it's very good to have this conversation. And then in the end, it so happened that we had a keychain. A keychain, um, it was, the, the keychain was actually a Bible. It was the Gospel of John or something, with, with like a miniature version. I happened to have that. Then we gave to him and said, sir, as a, as a way of apology, uh, this is a gift from our daughter Hannah to you. And thank you for being very kind. This is not what I thought about movie stars and all that. And so we gave them this gift. And, and he said, oh, thank you very much. I'll cherish it. I don't know what he meant. But, but at that time, it was, it was such, a, such an encounter. We had a very nice conversation with him. And now I see him in some Christian movies. And I'm not, I don't think it is because of that. But, but he was in God's Not Dead and some other Christian movies. He acted as a pastor, and this is 20 years later, and this, I've never met, uh, never seen Dean Cain later or any time before or after. But the point is, that one encounter with that person, and then I went back, and then it started unfolding. And people were saying that I had a cousin at the time in New York, and she was saying that, Matthew, did you shake hands with, she was like, she was like 20 something young girl. She was saying that, Matthew, you, you shook hands with Dean Cain. Now don't wash your hands, and I want to come and shake your hands. And then I'm reading in the internet, people who are traveling from Montreal, Canada to Los Angeles, just to get an autograph with Dean Cain. This Dean Cain was talking to me like a friend. This Superman was talking to me like a friend. See, the point I'm trying to make is it was only one encounter. 
I may never see Dean Cain later, and he will never remember me, but that's not the point. The point is the more you discover about this person, the more you know about this person, the more exciting that one simple encounter becomes. And that is what happened to the Samaritan woman. It is one encounter. I don't know whether they met before, but it doesn't matter. In that one encounter, there was an ongoing discovery of that one person. So what I'm encouraging you today in this new year, I know that you know Jesus. I know that you have a good opinion about Jesus. I know you are baptized, and I know you are a disciple, strong disciples, but the journey doesn't stop there. It has to be a point of ongoing discovery. The more you realize who this person you are talking to, the, the more passionate your faith is, to become, is going to become, and the more people will be attracted to the message that that you have, not necessarily just to the truth, but that truth will become relevant because it becomes a personal discovery. And I'm going to close in prayer and I come back and uh, do benediction, but I invite the worship team uh, to lead us in one more song. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the newness of this relationship into which you have called us to. We are just ordinary people in so many ways outside the so-called boundaries of the Judeo-Christian tradition. But you came, your grace came all the way from the west to the east to the Middle East, all over the world. Your redemptive grace was shining the light in our life and you brought us to the fold of this great community we call Christianity. Lord, let this not be another religion we do. Let church not become another community that is in the world. Let this be an organic entity which will be constantly evolving based on the rediscovery of who you are in our life so that our children will see the light in our eyes when we talk about you, it won't become another sermon. It won't become just another story. But they will realize that there is something more than mere words that we are speaking. And we are talking about a relationship. And they will enter into that relationship. The culture will so look up to us, the church, oh Lord, so that they will be flocking into the community especially in the post-COVID world. Lord, you will make the church a city on the hill. And because the only hope, the only light is coming from here. So here we are, oh Lord, with a renewed commitment to rediscover you on an everyday basis so that everything we speak from this pulpit and everything we read from the Bible will become real to us. In Jesus' name.